Welcome back to Essential Entrepreneurship with Enrique. I like to keep this super casual. You guys know me. I'm bringing on a guest today. He's also the new co-star of the show because I want to bring some more some more brains. And you're going to like this guy. His name's Alex Olave. Now, Alex Olave, I give him a quick intro and I'll let him introduce himself. Um, he was uh, a mentor of mine in the past and he's a really good friend presently and he's always always has been, excuse me. And I know he's got a ton of value in that big skull of his. And he's a badass, too. He's an MMA fighter. So you can't go wrong. He's a man of men. Alex, welcome, my friend. Enrique, what's going on, man? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Oh, yeah. We're going to we're going to dominate it. Let's, let's be we don't want to we don't necessarily we're not shooting for the next Joe Rogan's. But you know what? We're here to have a good time. No, here to see I'm, an, I'm an open book, man. I'll, I'll dive in, dive into everything here, man. I mean, let's let's make this fun. Let's make it entertaining to, to something where the, uh, the, the listeners want to want to chime in. Let's do it. So listeners, just some quick context, and I'm going to let him kind of take the mic. Uh, Alex is the definition of like from rags to riches and then back to rags and then back to riches. So it's an it's a it's a real story. It's a real roller coaster story, and it's really interesting. So, um, take it away, man. Let's just start from the top. So, oh, yeah, who the hell are you? Yeah, man, I'm actually in uh, I'm in Laguna Beach, uh, California, right now. Who the hell am I, or where the hell am I? I mean, I guess we can start with who I am first. Who the hell are you? Um, it's funny, man. You know, a lot of people are like, uh, you know, what, what do you do in this space? I've seen you around. You've been a coach at one point. Now you're in mergers and acquisitions. And I guess I'll start from the top here. Um, I'm a mergers and acquisition executive. I own a portfolio company called Acquire and Exit. Um, we acquire businesses. We, you know, repair the businesses through marketing, right? And then flip those businesses to private equity for a multiple. So we're really big on aggregating businesses and we can dive into what that means for the audience here in, in a minute. Um, but like that, that's really where all of my pitfalls and all of my downfalls led me, which was transitioning over into the space. Because it, it, even if you don't realize it, in some capacity, every business owner is in mergers and acquisitions. You get your fulfillment, you buy your fulfillment at cost, your cost of goods and services, and then you sell it for a multiple. So in some capacity, right, maybe you may not know it, but you you are participating in mergers and acquisitions in some aspect. But um. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have got here without the failures, right? Um, and we can we can dive deep into that. But started as a professional fighter, uh, traveling the world ten years, living in Koh Samui, Thailand, and and um, uh, I'm sitting there at this one bar, and these guys are like sipping coconuts, and and I'm overhearing them on the phone, like, "Yeah, dude, we just did a four hundred thousand dollar month," and I'm like, "The fuck, four hundred thousand dollars a month, like." what, what did these guys do? So he hangs up the phone and I walk up to him and I ask him, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I got a digital agency. I'm like, what's a digital agency. I'm, I'm a fighter at this time. I'm, I'm, I'm literally getting, you know, losing my brain cells for a living. And, um, he, he breaks down the model for me, explains it. And my mind was just expanded at that moment. Um, and it just kind of really opened up the world of entrepreneurship and, and being a digital nomad in the first place. And, you know, fast forward to where we are several years later, five years later, uh, I've had a roller coaster of experiences, but you, you need those, you, you, you need the um, rock bottom moments to essentially find yourself and, and become who you are and the person you are today. Yeah. So let's dive into like, um, well, first of all, God, this, I, I want to dive into the MMA part too. Let's dabble in the MMA for a second. 
Let's go. We'll go. We'll go into the beginning of AO, right? Like when, like the incline of it, like the first time you started getting, like right before that money started, you know, coming into play. Let's talk about the MMA though. Like, what did that do for you personally, though? Just brawling. Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, so uh, I dropped out of high school at sixteen, entered the working world, got a job as a government contractor, um, working for Northern Bremen, right? And um, during that time, I had become really obese, just kind of like working. I don't know about entrepreneurship. I don't know about um, just really anything in the online world. And I thought it was like, get a college degree, get a good job, make a six-figure salary. And that was like the end point. But I knew something was missing, right? So I'm sitting there, fat, obese, having this like, having this epiphany, like, man, I got to lose weight, right? So like, I couldn't run a mile, but I would put on some boxing gloves and, and hit a bag. And that's how I started to lose weight. And I loved it so much that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take my first fight. Fuck it. Right. <laughs> and, balls, uh, by the way, a lot of balls. So I make my debut as a heavyweight, believe it or not. Um, weighed in at 230 uh, 30 pounds. Knocked the dude's teeth out in the second round. And I'm like, this is it for me. Yeah. You know, so that kind of, that kind of bred the, um, that kind of set up the table for me to approach this whole fighting career. And, and it led me on a 10 year career um, where I did get to travel the world and meet some incredible people, you know? So 10 years uh, is a long time of fighting. 10 years is a long time to fight, but I would say that as an athlete, and I think any athlete can resonate with this is you have a lot of adversity. Like you get punched in the face. You're not just going to quit. Right. So I was talking to my good friend, Benny Fowler. He played for the Denver Broncos when they won the Super Bowl. And um, he was like, yeah, man, athletes make great entrepreneurs because they're so used to falling on their face and getting back up over and over and over again. You're in the gym, you're trying to push past that set. And there's like that resistance point that you really have to push past. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, th those are skill sets and those are mentalities that carry over uh, very well into entrepreneurship. It's that tough skin, man. And you really, it's so, maybe it's, it feels corny for us say, cause we have these conversations so much but it's so important to have like that tough thick skin especially in business you got to be one resilient as hell but you just got to be durable 100 no you're not durable you're not gonna last just like sales if you don't have tough skin if you're not durable if you're not resilient to getting no's you're just not gonna make it it's not cut out for you plain yeah, yeah absolutely uh, you know there's a great saying the answer is always yes and no is always maybe Right. And a lot of people, they hear no. And, and for whatever, it goes back to mindset, right? For whatever reason, um, you know, let's say they have a problem with money. Um, how can they ask for the clothes? Right. Or let's say someone tells them no, if they have a problem with rejection there, you know, so it always goes back to optimizing self before um, being able to really become that entrepreneur that you want to become, you know? Yeah. So, so this is the MMA aspect, right? Building you up as an individual. Okay. Now you got the discipline. Now you have basically that mental resilience, but also the ambition to want to do more inside the cage and also outside. Right. So then let's fast forward a little bit to AO. Okay. Yeah. So now let's say you're AO, maybe you're walk us through that point to where maybe it's just about to break like a hundred K months, or you're just about to make like that big money and live that big lifestyle. Like paint us that picture for a couple of minutes. Yeah. That, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I was doing coaching in the space before AO and, um, and, and I never done paid ads. Actually, I, I wasn't doing paid marketing. Right. So, um, 
like for me, $100,000 a month, I thought it was going to take a long time to get there. We turned on paid ads and relatively fast month two, we were at like $300,000 in revenue. And for me, it was like culture shock. Like as soon as the ads came on, right. Or as soon as the ads turned on and appointments started dripping on the calendar and the closer started closing for me, it was like this superpower that I never experienced before. Like so it was that easy. Like Real, real shit. quick, so so two two three hundred k. Is that contracted, collected, just as collected, a, collected. two three hundred k collected, collected. Yep, and that's um, that's a lot of money, folks. It's a lot of money, and if you're not ready for that type of money, it can really get to your head. How do you, you mean? Know? Um, I'd say about month three, month four, I'm like, damn, I got money in the bank. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Right. I got money in the bank. Right. We've already paid for our cost of goods and services. Um, like I'm going to go fall out, man. I'm going to go have the time of my life now. I know the direction that we're going in and it's, it's fun, but we're not quite there yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for the audience, like it's going to turn into like Wolf of Wall Street fairly soon here. Right. But <laughs> I want to really savor, I want to really savor like the come up, right. Like the God, cause there's so much we can talk about. It's going to have to take several episodes. Like even if we're talking systems and infrastructure, that's a whole different episode in and of itself. Right. But I want to give like the kind of glimpse overview, right? So let's take a step back before we dive into the Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle to where it kind of did click for you. Like when you did ramp up those ads and all right, cool. Like now you're at two, 300K, not contracted, but collected. Right. Yeah, take us back there. Yeah, man. I mean, um, I, I think it all had to do with uh, really optimizing the people that we were working with because no way I could have done that by myself. So if I put myself back in the mentality of where I was, I knew I needed people. And that was really my biggest bottleneck. It was like, okay, cool. If I want to build this business, I need to find people who are really aligned with the vision. And I'll never forget, man, I had a mentor telling me, he was like, dude, like you can't just go hire anyone. You got to know your vision, value, and culture. And if you know your vision, value, and culture, you're going to be able to get a, a group of people who really align with you to help you grow and scale this thing. Break that down for the, for the listeners, just if you could dumb it down in 30 seconds. Yeah, vision, value, culture is, is really important. You got to know where you're going. You got to know why you're going where you're going. And, um, you know, you, you also got to know what kind of culture you want to build, right? What are the values that everybody you bring into your organization must have? For us, it was diligence. They have to be... Um, they have to be diligent. They have to be resourceful, right? They have to, you know, go above and beyond. And these are all characteristics that I would need to look at in an individual before bringing them on board. And once I did that switch, rather than just hiring someone because they're a closer or hiring someone because they're a media buyer, really making sure that they did align with the values of, you know, what I wanted to bring to the table. And you would become particularly well at building like a vision and a culture, right? You're particularly really good at being persuasive <laughs> all around, right? Because you're like, like uh, Jordan Belfort always says, like enthusiastic as hell, right? Like that's the epitome, yeah. right? And because of that, it's just that energy that flows over. So you build a company up, you're at two, 300K collected, right? Walk us through like what, what happened next? What was that next chapter? For oh, man. You know, th through growing and scaling, I, I was able to break it down into a formula. 
right? Because I was starting to see patterns. The ability to recognize patterns is probably one of the most lucrative skill sets. You will make more money than anybody else in the world if you have the ability to recognize patterns. Yeah. So I was seeing, okay, wow, what are, what are my driving numbers, right? What, what are my key performance indicators that I need to look at to be able to duplicate this over and over and over again? And it boiled down to cost per booked appointment, no show rate, and closing ratio. And I knew if I had those three things that I had a formula to be able to literally plug in a dollar and get out X. So I knew if I spent $5,000 on ads, it would generate X amount of appointments. Of X amount of appointments, X amount of people would no show because it's always going to be a factor. And of those appointments that did show, how, what would be the closing ratio of the closers to be able to get on a call and close these individuals down? And once I figured that out, it just became a, a, a matter of just looking at a spreadsheet, plugging in numbers, projecting revenue, and being able to hit it precisely down to the fucking, down to the, down to the number. Like, cool, we want to make five, we, we want to make a million dollars this month. How much do we need to spend on ads? And that's ultimately where it got to, right? We ended up doing million dollar months consecutively back to back to back because we had the data to be able to back it up goes with saying like, you know, data and logic, um, they're two different things. If you're using emotion to grow and scale your business, right. You're going to fucking fall on your face. Sure. Oh my God, this isn't working. I don't know if this is working. How do you not know if you're not tracking, right? How do you know if you're not tracking, right? So being able to look at that data, being able to know exactly where you're going based off of the data, um, was ultimately the compass that we used to to be able to grow and scale. Mm. All right, so million dollar months that was that was contracted. Cash collected. <laughs> cash <laughs> cash collected. Yes, yes. It's a right, right, right. About nine eighty. I say a million, but it was right about nine eighty. Yeah, yeah, we had a cash collected. I, I would uh, I'd round up too, man. <laughs> There's no, no foul in that. It's no harm. Yeah. So million bucks a month. So lifestyle for you at this point, mind you guys. This is a guy that was um, you were homeless in a tent, right? Was yes. I um, give us a flashback. Had, yeah. <laughs> my uh, my. My first business venture was a gym, right? So fighting around the world, I come back to America, I take another fight, I find an opportunity to sell or finance a gym, right? It goes back to mergers and acquisitions. I didn't know I was doing M&A at the time, right? And from, from M&A to, or from MMA to M&A, right? Um, I, I didn't know that what, what an LBO, a leveraged buyout is. I didn't know um, that I could even sell or finance a business. So it was a sweet acquisition, but you know, Enrique, it turns out you can be a great fighter, but a shitty business owner. I didn't know sales. I didn't know marketing. I didn't know persuasion influence. I didn't know any of it. And just a, a few short months later, we closed the doors for good. Mm. And, um, I remember thinking like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I kind of like sunk in the self-pity packed up my shit and moved to New Mexico, had nowhere to live and lived in the tent. Why New Mexico? Um, so there was a girl I was dating. At the the time, girlfriend, right? uh, girlfriend. The girl, it's always a girl, right? <laughs> um, there was a girl and, um, you know, she had lived in New Mexico and that's just where she was from. Right. But, you know, she, she was living in the gym with me. We were both doing it together. And, um, and yeah, we went back to New Mexico and just had nowhere to live. And we were like, okay, cool. Like, well, this family member or this, this family friend says we can, stay in their carport underneath their carport in a fucking tent and um i'm like cool 
let's do it, you know? And uh, did that for about nine months, man. Nine months, nine the months. desert heat, sweating hot as balls. But halfway through that, I had gotten fed up. You know, I, I was just like, there has to be more out of life, you know, because there was this like identity crisis I was facing. I was, I'm as a business owner. I'm not going back to the nine to five. Yeah. You know, did you see the identity crisis? That'll fuck somebody up. One hundred percent. Even recently, man, going through and going through and kind of, you know, and we'll dive into what happened with AO here in a bit. But I went through a massive identity crisis even after AO, man. Yeah. Crisis. You know, another thing too, like if we kind of zoom out, like everybody knows somebody that had like a um, identity crisis, right? Like look at family. I mean, they'll tell you, don't do this because that will happen, right? Whether it's marriage or work or something, right? Like we all know people close to us that are either living identity crisis or they've had one and it, they kind of let it dictate their life's outcome because it will fuck somebody up what, if they let it happen to them 100%. So you spent nine months living homeless in a tent. Yeah. Nine months, the click fucking happened, right? Fast forward, you're doing a million dollars a month. Collected, not contracted. Collected. Collected. Yeah. This is where, folks, we go into the wolf of Wall Street <laughs> lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, man. <laughs> unravel it yeah man um so so yeah the, the money started coming in and um it, and and it can get to your head a little bit because now all of a sudden i've got this money i've never had before and because i wasn't in the mindset to be mature enough to know how to manage money right because even though i was doing a million dollars a month i was like i can have whatever the fuck i want it just literally built this certainty uh, within me right it's kind of like they say money changes you it does how did that it feel at first bro on top of the world on top of the world which honestly it should not make you feel on top of the world to make a million dollars a month right that's just the beginning it's not what you make it's what you keep right that should be like an oh shit moment i've got to take this million and multiply it to 10 it shouldn't be like oh i made a million i fucking made it you see what I'm saying? There, there's a big discrepancy there. And that's where I was. I made it. I'm here. And, and we just started balling out. Can you can you kind of blame yourself, though? I mean, about, what, a year or <sighs> years before then, you were homeless in a tent for nine months in a desert? In a car? I mean, I mean... He, he, I don't, I don't like to blame, you know, because at the end of the day, right. I've got to take accountability for the decisions that I made. Sure. Right. Was it fun? And what I trade it for, no, I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything because they did make me who I am today. But if I could go back in time, I definitely would have done things just a little bit different. Yeah. All right. So I remember, you know, watching your stories, you're buying suits like every night, man. Oh, I got more suits. I got more suits than I can fucking imagine. <laughs> Oh, man can you lease out, a suit? You lease out a suit like a porsche you know like a zoro or toro whatever that app is called just start leasing out these suits man make some oh. <laughs> right yeah there you go soro there you go so so million dollars collected every month right you live in life so what was some some shit that you were just doing man like the like dude we would go to vegas and we would spend like 30k on a nightclub to go party with Polly d like just on, on a company dime, like, and we would write it off, right? We, we tried to be as, as 
smart as possible about it. And we would write it off as company entertainment. You see like big companies like Uber and Apple and like all these companies will spend millions of dollars on a company holiday party, but because tax season's coming up and they really need to mitigate their liabilities. So they're looking for ways to write shit off, not just trying to be irresponsible and ball the fuck out just because. Mm. Right. And, um, and yeah, man, so we would we would rent Ferraris, rent Lamborghinis. And if you know about renting exotics, it's like $1,200, $1,500 a day. Like we were just doing some reckless shit. And obviously the money brings the women. So now like our ego is being fed by all these gorgeous women around us. But it wasn't because of us. It was because of the money that we had. Or I would even say it's debatable because I got hella game, you know? <laughs> um, and and we, we can get into that. Um, but uh but man, it was just like literally like a movie, man. Wolf of Wall Street, I kid you not, ended up renting a $8 million Beverly Hills mansion where we ended up living, uh, us and the team, right? Um, That's a nice place. It, it, was, it was like a nightclub every night. Stripper pool parties in the hot tub, blow on the fucking table. Like something you would see out of Wolf of Wall Street, you know? Um, it was not responsible because I was taking, I was taking shareholder capital and I didn't know this was shareholder capital. I thought we were just rendering services, right? That's how, that was the immaturity that I was experiencing as a business owner. It was like, okay, cool. We paid for the cost of goods and services. They're good. They're going to get their return. But then the fulfillment partners, we had shit to bet. So when it came time, this company was on fire and our 12 month agreements at six months into it. And these investors really don't have anything to show for. I started saying, oh shit. And started to really pump the brakes on this lifestyle that we were living. So we flushed all this money down the drain. I think we flushed like $2.5 million down the drain just on fulfillment partners, just on fulfillment partners who couldn't get the job done. Right. And I'm paying all these outrageous executive salaries to, you know, paying all my employees very well. And I'm like, oh shit, now we have to take back the company and build everything in-house. So we built an in-house team, all burn rate, $300,000 a month. And that added up very fast. One second, it's breaking up a little bit. Gotta love Zoom. We good now? We're good. I think we're good. Yeah. I heard everything you said. So you in-house the team, right? Because it was just, you guys were spending a lot of money and then it was 300,000 a month to in-house. Our payroll was $300,000 a month. So we went from outsourcing absolutely everything yeah. to doing a massive hiring spree, bringing on 40 in-house employees, customer service reps, more sales team, um, client service managers, uh, Shopify developers, media buyers, just like all of these personnel. And our payroll was that of a Fortune 500 company, man. Like it was massive. It was through the fucking roof. And um, $300,000 is a lot of payroll. There's no doubt about it. It no longer became about me and balling out, Enrique. It became about how do I make sure that my people eat? How do I make sure that we get our investors? Uh, how do I make sure that we get our investors in return? Because I could not rely on the the partners that we had outsourced. That goes with saying, like, if you have a service that you're selling, that you're outsourcing, do your due diligence. Make sure that the company who is um, who is operating on your for your clients, right, on their on your behalf, 
are able to actually get the job done. And we went through, when I say we went through almost every agency in the space, we went through every agency in the space trying to fulfill for our clients. So get this, right? The first batch of clients, right? Paid fulfillment teams to operate on their Amazon and their, and their Shopify stores, they shit the bed. We didn't get a dime of that back. So then we said, oh my God, we got to go pay for another bulk of stores to another team for the same investors. They shit the bed, no money back. Again, did this three times, three times bringing in three new fulfillment partners who had a great reputation in the space. They shit the bed. So all in all, $2.5 million down the drain for the same group of investors, three different types of assets that they all shit the bed. So we had, we had to do what we had to do, build a massive team and, um, Going back, I would have done it differently. I'll tell you how I would have done it. But um, yeah, man, that, that was ultimately the pitfall. Sounds like a stressful time period. I have no idea, man. I have no idea. You know, it, 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 it was... That's a, that's a whole different level of stress. It is. I mean, once you start making that kind of money, you've got a responsibility. You've got a responsibility to make sure, like you've got to win your board. You got what I mean by that, your investors, man, you got to win your investors. Like no one's going to come back and do business with you if you're not getting someone a return. And that's ultimately what we faced, right? We hit shit, hit the fan. And I said, you know what? I am going to do everything in my power to make sure that our investors and our shareholders get compensated, what, whatever I have to do, you know? So what would you have done? Different. I'll tell you exactly what I would have done, Enrique. I'll tell you tell exactly us, what I would have done. But see, again, all, all these mistakes and all these failures led led to these epiphany moments and then just being around the right people in private equity mergers and acquisitions. So here's exactly what I would have done. I would have taken the $5 million that we made in about six months. I would have used it as collateral to borrow $20 million. I would have taken that $20 million. I would have acquired assets, real estate properties, businesses, et cetera. And then I would have fractionalized equity into these businesses for these shareholders to get paid monthly dividends on grow and scale the businesses and then flip them to private equity for a multiple and then give them a slice of the exit. So they would have had dividends, they would have had an exit, and then they would have had a passive cash flowing vehicle for monthly cash flow through Amazon and, and Shopify, right? So the mistake was customization is the enemy of scale. And rather than building 110 different assets, pulling together all that capital, pulling 110 investors together and fractionalizing, amortizing them into different businesses, only three or five. So now they're sharing a pool like a syndicate, more mm -hmm. or less. That would have been the play. He said, he said something that's really important. I want to kind of clarify on it. He said customization is the, would you say it's the killer of scaling? Enemy of scaling. Enemy of scaling. Enemy of scaling. If you, if, if you guys think about it, like in order to scale, you just get really good at something and you get really good at duplicating that over and over and over and over again and systematizing it. That's scaling in a nutshell. Yeah. So if you're customizing too much or changing too much, will you re really ever really scale? Then no. No. You're, you're feeding cement. Yeah. So essentially, had you gone that direction, that's the that's the pathway of of multi millions, 
That's the pathway of multi-million. OPM, leverage other people's money to be able to acquire assets, doing it ethically, right? And fractionalizing equity into those assets. So now they have something with real equity value, right? As opposed to building something from scratch, trying to grow and scale it, right? Doing it for 110 different people and saying, you're going to cover all the operating expenses. It's fucking ludicrous, but we did it. Hmm. It's kind of like, don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch the hot stove, Alex. Don't do it. That's what it feels like. Puts all five fingers. It's that, it's that, that foresight, man. I had it too. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it leaves like a a bitter taste in your mouth for a little while. And then over time, it's like you get, it's kind of like a thick, I don't know, like a thick syrup, right? In your fucking throat, right? And then over time, it just sits there, sits there, sits there. And one day you just kind of just swallow the rest of the shit or you hawk it out like a loogie. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's the lesson. That's what, that's what I could have done differently. Okay, that's what I need to do now. It's like just 100%. spitting that shit out. Now, that was the rise. Tell us more about like the fall. Wow. Yeah. The uh the fall, man. Let's let's go to January. January 2022. Just recently, right? Fairly recently. And, uh, very recently. Sales team stopped selling. They lost faith in the leadership, right? Had the sales team kept selling, we would have been fine. We would have been able to pivot it around. But what happened was the entity collapsed in on itself. And what I mean by that is like top down, bottom up. Sales team stopped believing in leadership, right? Um, so that came collapsing down, right? But at the same time, they were unmotivated. So like in between them being unmotivated and them not believing uh, in leadership for the person that we had brought in to scale out sales, it just kind of like collapsed in on itself and everyone just threw in the towel. They're hearing all these fires happen with client relations. They're just, it, it just, it was a, it was like a nuclear bomb on the culture, mm -hmm. right? And um, once that exploded, it was just devastating. And um, ultimately we just ended up bleeding capital. We still had people to pay, but the sales team stopped selling. We still had a team of employees, but there's no revenue coming in. So now what did we have to do? We had to tap into reserves and those reserves bled fairly quickly. $300,000 a month, as you can imagine, by March, we were done. Goes back to saying, had I done it differently, I would have used that capital as collateral to be able to borrow 20, acquire more assets, grow and scale those and then exit them for multiple. You live, you learn, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to sit here in my humility and, and tell people that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you just learn from them and pivot the right way, mm. right? So I'm still dealing with the aftermath of all of it, right? But we figured out a very, very um, efficient solution to compensate and make all of those investors whole in this new entity of doing it the right way this time which is grouping together investor capital, buying assets, fractionalizing equity, and, and flipping those assets to private equity for multiple. You know, a couple of things there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a little cold. A couple of things. It takes a lot to be able to, to build an empire, to lose it, and then just talk about it. It takes a lot. Most people, I mean, look at like the, look at celebrities, right? 
when some something goes wrong. Right? Maybe like the left culture tries to cancel him. You never hear from him again. Right? Most people do that. It's easy to tuck and hide. Very. It's hard to embrace that shit, to live up to it. And then on top of it, once you can kind of channel that in the right direction forward to push that needle forward, you have that taste in your mouth of that success from before, mm. which means that your determination is going to be even more than it was when you were in that fucking tent in the middle of a desert with your ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Because now it's like, I know what it's like to have penthouse yeah. parties after click funnels, after getting my two comma club award. Right. I, I know what it's like to drive that Ferrari or that Porsche, to own that Porsche, to have the Rolex, to have the new suits custom tailored. I know what it's like. Yeah. It's like, do I want to settle for, for less? Well, I'll say this, man. You hit a certain capacity on lifestyle. And once your standards are aligned, you're never going back. But at the same time, that material shit should never make you. I've had the Ferraris. I've had the Lambos. And I'll be honest with you, man. I look at them now driving on the road. I live here in uh, Orange County, uh, California, and they're everywhere. And they make me sick because they take me back to a time and place where that's all, that was my identity. Right. I was using all this material shit to build my identity and fuel this this character who after the downfall, I had no idea who the fuck I was because I based everything on materialism. I based everything off of money. And I, I experienced something similar like this back in the day when I, you know, I lost a big fight on the online fight. I ended up getting knocked out like in the first round. And I went through that same feeling of like identity crisis. Who was Alexander outside of fighting this time? Who is Alexander outside of having money? And I had to find myself again. It was terrible. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it was the best thing to ever happen to me. And now, so that was the up. That was the down. Now the up. This Here we is... go, baby. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Here's here's the reality, folks. Like when you talk to somebody, you can you can tell based like basically like what their outcome is going to be it's just like an intuition that most people can have or at least the ones with common sense and common sense isn't that common as we know but certain people you can have a conversation with and you can tell them like yeah you could take away everything that they have and then they would still find a way to come back that's right because i think it's something that i like to say it's like in dna but i, I say it like not literally speaking but in the way of like the, the standard that each person has, if that makes sense, right? Like for me and you example, like we're cut from the same fabric where it's like, you can take away anything from us and we'll always find a way to come back tooth and nail, like whatever it takes. doesn't matter the direction. doesn't matter the vehicle. We'll always find a way, right? Cause it's a personal standard that we have. And when you have that conversation with people like that, you can just tell it doesn't matter. Like they're going to get there. They're going to do it. Well, if you look at a lot of the guys like Alex Ramosi, he's wearing a simple fucking t-shirt. Like I hang around billionaires. I hang around Deca millionaires. Like they don't give a fuck about materialism. You know, they're, they're like, yo, I don't need to buy a yacht because I'm friends with the person who owns the yacht. I don't need to buy a Ferrari because I own the dealership that fucking sells them all. You know, so it's like, that's the thinking. Let's not let's not use the capital that we make to pay for our liabilities. Let's, let's use it to invest in the fucking boatyard. 
Let's use it to invest in the car dealerships. That's how you preserve your wealth. And that's why also just thinking, that's why it's so important to have the right people in your corner to, to remind you of these things. Cause it can be so easy to get so lost in the temptation, right. And, and to indulge into the fruits of your labors in the wrong way sometimes. Or maybe not necessarily the wrong, but maybe you're just doing too much of it, right? And you should be doing more of this instead. But having that person in your corner to remind you of these things, it's like, okay, yeah, thank you. That's right. I needed that. Yeah, 100%. Like, like hey, Enrique, you, you just blew like 10 bands on a watch? Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You you could have used the money with something like way better, right? It's right. good to have that. And again, it, like I almost want to go back on the topic or go on the topic, excuse me, of kind of like having like the right people in your corner like choosing the right people and this is a whole different episode in and of itself too there's yeah, so much to talk sure. about right but looking back on your experience with ao too you know as far as was there anything you would have changed and you don't have to go into deep details but was there anything you would have changed about possibly partners or people that you had by your side that would have possibly changed the outcome i would not have given up equity in the company because the minute that I gave up equity in the company, I brought in other partners who had the same financial control that I did in the business, even though I owned more shares, because I gave them that respect as partners to say, hey, you know, I'm even though I own the majority of the company, you're going to have the same power as me. And I put it on paper, right? Um, and, and that is ultimately one thing that was our downfall was bringing in the wrong partners, who didn't really see the vision, who, were, who weren't stopping me in my tracks. Not that I needed anyone to stop me. I did. But just having the right mindsets around you. And at that time, like you're dealing with people who want to become millionaires, not people who want to become billionaires. So the real difference there is people who want to become millionaires, what are they thinking about? Money. People who want to become billionaires, what are they thinking about? Philanthropy. People. How can I help others? And that was really the big discrepancy. So going back in time, I would have surrounded myself with major capital players, right? And I, I would even say, I would even argue that I needed that because now I'm surrounded by these private equity executives. Now I'm surrounded by these DECA millionaires who have literally shown me the path to create wealth, uh, you know, win my board back, but also make my investors whole, you know? So it, it was a very humbling, uh, a very humbling rock bottom, um, if you will, but I wouldn't trade anything to be honest. I so much want to clarify on like that we could have a completely different episode tailored to like equity, for example. Like, why not to give equity away in a case like that? Like, what's the better alternative? Why? Well, let's say you go IPO, you can only keep about fourteen <laughs> percent. So why are you gonna why are you gonna literally dilute yourself, man? If you want to raise capital, you've got to keep enough room on the cap table to bring outside investors. If you're giving up fifty percent because you don't know what you're doing. Right. And what I mean by that is like as brand new entrepreneurs and startups, we want help so bad. We're willing to undervalue ourselves to get that help. Oh my God, you do marketing, dude. I can't pay you right now, but I'll give you like 20% equity in my company. Just help me build this. Right. Versus saying, look, dude, let's, let's sit down. Let's do a profit share. Right. And you can stake for equity over 24 months, but I'm not just going to give it to you. And if, if I do give it to you, it's going to be like 3%. 5% because I have a responsibility as a business owner and as the owner of the company to create enough room on the cap table to bring outside investors if I need to, to, to bring in hedge funds if I need to, to be able to raise more capital to get us to where we're going. 
right? The minute that I give up equity in my company, I'm literally taking and diluting my own power. I guess that's the best way to put it, to be able to grow and scale the company even further. You know, Dan, Dan Pena always talks about like, give away equity, profit share, or like shares. He's like, with those three things, and I'm sure there's more, He's like, but with those three things, like you can get very, very far and you can get a lot of resources that you need. But it's like, which one and when? Which one, why, and when? Mm-hmm. If you're going to give up equity, do it for someone who's going to come in and put a million dollars in capital. That would make sense. Big dogs. That, that would make sense. I'm not going to give up equity for a fucking marketing partner or a sales manager. Yep. Yep. You know? That, that's just reckless. Why would you dilute your shares as CEO? But again, you don't know that until you cross that bridge and you're like, fuck. Well, it's not, it's not common sense either, right? Like that's why, that's why we're breaking it down is because people hear equity like, oh, I know what that means, but I don't know what it means, right? Mm-hmm. Or like profit share, like, hmm, I know what that means, but I don't know what that means, right? And it's like, well, what's the right order to do it too? So yeah. what he's saying is, if it's somebody that's like legit legitimate excuse me and like they can invest like large sums of money then it's worth having the conversation about like equity because you you want to have like an a player a big dog on your side on your team in your company to obviously scale it and then if it's anything a bit less like let's say let's say somebody that's really good at sales that you can delegate to training your sales team right and building out your sales processes right then maybe at first what profit share would probably be the best alternative. Yep. Yep. What's your opinion? I would say put something on the cap table for your entire team. I know for me and acquire and exit our portfolio company, I've set aside 10% on the cap table for employees and partners. So we sell that for a billion dollars. That 10% goes to our employees and partners, right? But I'm not giving up any more equity to any other, you know, any other outside influences other than investors coming in. Right. So um, and, and we can get into capital raising all day long. Um, but again, if you want to raise capital in your entity, I, I would say open up a specialty purpose vehicle. I would Google that. Right. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is a capital raising fund. It's essentially an entity that you can grant your investors and shareholders equity in that entity. Right. Equity in that fund as opposed to diluting your equity in your own company. You see, folks, this is this is one of the main reasons as to why Essential Entrepreneurship with Enrique has a new co-host. Because this guy, <laughs> this guy, the scrapper, he knows his shit. He's smart. But also, well, it's my boy too. But thirdly, we have a lot of good things that are about to happen for the podcast, like a lot of good, like legitimate legitimate entrepreneur guests that we're going to have here. I'm really excited to actually interview them with Alex too, because um, it's good having, again, going back to like the camaraderie, like the people in your corner, they see things from a different perspective than you do or will most of the time in certain things. And that's good because when you're going to learn new things, you're going to learn, ask new questions and see things through a new paradigm. And two, it's also good again, to be surrounded in that kind of environment. Um, because that's the biggest thing, right? Like it's something I'm going to start mentioning a lot more too is like Andrew Tate, right? Cause Andrew Tate's 
he's he's the, oh, man. the top G man. The top G. <laughs> top G. What color is your Bugatti? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, non-existent at the moment. <laughs> but for that specific reason, like that's why I'm bringing Alex on is because, like, yeah, I could have a podcast show by myself, but one, it's not as fun, not nearly as fun. Two, I want to be surrounded by more people that think like I do, if not like massively bigger, because that's obviously important. Again, this is just common sense stuff for you and I, right, Alex? But right. for the people who are possibly getting into entrepreneurship, it's just always good to kind of touch on it. Guys, we have a lot of big things coming to play here, and I'm really excited about it. So just so you know, just to wrap up here, um, once a week, we're going to have a new guest on. And then also once a week, Alex and I will be doing kind of like our mastermind topics where we go into about business, sales, infrastructure, marketing, just everything that it entails, because uh, it's, it's also important, right? And it's kind of hard to find that one place where you can kind of go to for that good education that's going to ultimately save you god i don't know thousands and thousands it's going to make you thought you, you can't put a price on what it's going to make you essentially even what it would save you because this shit that you're going to learn is stuff that i don't know can you really learn in school alex no no you 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 really can't i mean the being an entrepreneur nothing prepares you i don't care what kind of entrepreneur class what kind of college like it's just about getting out there and doing it i've got a master's degree i have not used it a single day in my life hmm. <clears throat> let's conclude it right there man do you have any last thoughts any last quotes any last tips anything for this specifically right now for entrepreneurs just starting out, maybe you guys are a startup. You don't know what you don't know until you don't know what you don't know. A lot of you guys don't know that you're raising your seed rounds right now. And let's say you are to go sell your business one day and you're bleeding your books dry to pay for your liabilities. Your company, company is going to be worthless. Your multiple is going to be shot to hell. And let's say you do get into a situation where you need to exit your company. They're going to be looking at your books and tear you apart. They're going to ring you a new asshole, right? So be very, very conscious of what you're paying yourself out as a business owner, because the last thing you want to do is dilute the value of what your company's worth. So when you do go take it to get value at a multiple, you're not sitting there with your thumb up your ass like, fuck, I should have done this. I should have done that. So you know, just, just be conscious of what you're, what you're paying yourself out as a business owner. And I would even say, are you leveraging debt to be able to grow and scale your company? Because the last thing you want to do is tap into your own capital. You want to use OPM to grow and scale and, and use the capital that you have on hand to borrow against the bank. If you can use that on, as collateral and do revenue-based lending um, or, or some kind of debt you know, facility, take advantage of some kind of debt facility, you're going to be able to grow and your scale your business a lot faster because you have the capital to do it versus where, where do I go? How do I do this? Mm. So that, that would be in, in summation here. That would be my, uh, my main tip for everyone. Yeah. And, and also too, like, like where can they find you if they, if they want to reach out and actually have questions, like how do they follow yeah, absolutely. So you guys can uh, you guys can reach out to me on Instagram at Suave Olave, um, or you can go to Acquire and Exit, not and Exit, N Exit, Acquire and Exit dot com. And um, I'm happy to chat with you guys. And and um, yeah, there you have it. Follow me on Instagram at Essential underscore Enrique, folks. We'll see you in the next one. Peace out.